The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, Tuchel to Bayern, Barry to follow, question mark. The women's team are beaten at City ahead of Leon return and we'll do an international roundup. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Happy Monday to you, listener. Hope you're well and uh, well done, Agent Conte. You can move on to your next post now. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined today by two of The Athletic's finest. Liam Toomey's with us. Hi, Liam. Hello. Hmm, standard hello. Fine. Simon Johnson's <laughs> also here. How you doing, Simon? Never in doubt, Matt. How you doing? I only bring out the bells and whistles when Chelsea are playing, not during international breaks, sorry. Okay, that's fair. Keep your powder dry on that one. Um, Well, it is a Chelsea podcast, so it's only right we start today by talking about Bayern Munich. Bin ich davon überzeugt und glaube ich, dass es eine Ehre und eine Auszeichnung ist, von von Bayern München angefragt zu werden. Ich habe das äh, gestern dann auf der Geschäftsstelle gemerkt, wenn du dein... äh, Uh, Thomas Tuchel then has a new gig. Pleasingly, it's not at Tottenham, but disappointingly, he might be facing Chelsea in the Champions League semi-finals. He's pretty good at those. Uh, He might well be taking a member of Chelsea's current coaching staff with him too. Liam, you've written about this. Tell us more. Yeah, so uh, Thomas Tuchel, I think at his introductory press conference as Bayern Munich coach, said, you know, he was talking through his backroom staff for his new gig, saying that, you know, he's bringing Honor Mikels and Zolt Lowe with him, both of whom Chelsea fans will be familiar with. And then he said, oh, and we're hoping to add Anthony Barry, uh, who's, who's still at Chelsea. This was a surprise to Chelsea, particularly that Tuchel would say it publicly. Um, at that time, there hadn't been an approach from Bayern for Barry. There now has been. But what we're hearing is that they've not made any sort of compensation offer for taking what is a very highly regarded coach who has not been short of interest throughout his time at Chelsea and a coach who is under contract. So I don't think Chelsea are best pleased with the way Bayern have gone about this and more specifically the way Tuchel has decided to conduct this in public. I must say from Tuchel's perspective, I don't think he particularly cares (laughs) about uh, alienating people at Chelsea given the way he feels he was treated towards the end. All of this, of course, is setting up perfectly for the most narrative-rich possible Champions League semi-final, Chelsea versus Bayern Munich. Come on, we, it has to happen now, surely. Tuchel versus Chelsea, it would just be too delicious on a number of levels. Yeah, with Bayern scoring a goal from a set-piece that Anthony Barry devises. Um, Simon, he's had, as Liam says, he's had loads of interest, hasn't he? But But he's very highly regarded by Chelsea. Is that a view shared by Graham Potter, do you think? Is he going to be kind of fighting the corner to try and keep Barry? I mean, I guess to an extent, it's up to Anthony Barry, isn't it? You're not going to want him hanging around if he says, no, actually, I'd quite like to take this job. Yeah. um, Look, I I remember Tuchel fighting tooth and nail to keep Barry when he's been sort of linked with lots of EFL clubs in the past. Of course, he also has been working in international football. I think he's now... Portugal, but he's he's had another post with Ireland and Belgium. Yeah, I'm sure if if Potter wants to keep him, he'll 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 ask the question. But you know, if Barry wants to go, he wants to go. I wouldn't be surprised if if Barry does 
push to leave for a new challenge to be reunited with Tuchel. Of course, they won the Champions League together with Chelsea and Bayern Munich's obviously a, a massive club. Uh, I'm not saying that Chelsea isn't, but but perhaps Barry will sort of sort of see it as a as a chance to try out a new league, etc. He's he's an ambitious guy. He wants to become a coach in his own right one day, and what an education that would be. But if Chelsea keep him. That would obviously be ideal because it just keeps the status quo for a bit longer. Um, if he goes, then the question is, will they try and find someone else for that specific role? Um, it's not like set-piece coaches grow on trees. I, I can't think of it <laughs> being a massive sort of, um, in the football advertisement, job advertisement sort of column that there's loads of uh, set-piece specialist coach, especially with the uh, the knowledge and know-how of Anthony Barrett, which is why he's been such a key hire for Chelsea the last few years. What I would say, though, is that set-pieces haven't exactly gone great for Chelsea this season. Um, so whether his Midas touch has uh, started to wear off a little bit um, also comes to light. There's only Austin McPhee, that chap with long hair who used to be at Villa, who I can think of as another set-piece coach. Don't like him already. Well, maybe Chelsea could get his nanny if he's not available. Um, more broadly, oh Liam, <laughs> it's not even the first time I've made that joke. Didn't go over then, <laughs> didn't go over today, but it won't stop me trying again. Uh, more broadly, Liam, Thomas Tuchel at Bayern Munich. What do you think of that as a, as a landing spot for him? Personally, I'm thrilled that he hasn't come straight back to the Premier League. I was absolutely convinced for months that he was going to end up at Tottenham. That was the theory that I was telling everyone who would listen and even a few people who wouldn't. Because it's been clear for months that Antonio Conte was on his way out. I didn't think that he would leave before the end of the season, uh, having torched his own tenability. But yeah, I think I think Bayern saw that possibility as well. And I, I don't think you can discount the timing of Bayern's move from at least the perception that Tottenham might go for Tuchel. And, and that's why they've moved away the way they have. I, I find it fascinating actually the parallels of this Tuchel appointment with Chelsea's appointment of Tuchel back in 2021. In both cases you had you know, a young coach. I know Nagelsmann has got a longer track record than Lampard did and, and kind of high, more highly regarded within the game. But a young coach who's very brutally dealt with by the club. As soon as it becomes clear that Tuchel is prepared to take the job mid-season and once again he comes in yes it's a little bit later this time but he comes in with the Champions League just sitting there invitingly and we know how good Thomas Tuchel is at game planning for the Champions League knockout stage and I'd say one of the people that's probably least overjoyed about these developments is Pep Guardiola given that he now has to navigate Tuchel in a Champions League quarter-final and I actually think Bayern have, have probably increased their odds of lifting the trophy this season. I think Tuchel is that good in, in that kind of setting. So they're, they're a dangerous team. I, I, he, he's arguably got more talent in this Bayern squad right now than he did at Chelsea in 2021. And he doesn't have a number nine, but he didn't at Chelsea either. And he's shown that he doesn't necessarily need that to, to succeed. So I think it's a dangerous union. I think he'll, he might have similar long-term challenges to what he had at Chelsea, given that Bayern has always been an extremely political club with some some very strong-willed individuals at the top who all have their opinions and often express them publicly. So it'll be interesting to see how Tuchel deals with that beyond this season. But in the short term, we've already seen 
he's probably a top five coach in the world and, and he can make that level of impact from day one. That's the interesting thing, isn't it, Simon? It's whether he is going to be a kind of career short-term manager at the elite level, you know, sort of similar, I guess, to, to Antonio Conte and a couple of others, or, or whether he's going to be a legacy guy, which I suppose not many people are these days and, and particularly not at Bayern Munich. And it's um, it's a hell of a first game he's got too this weekend at home to Borussia Dortmund, ahead of them in the table and his old club. Yeah, fantastic. Um Firstly, I'm glad he's back in, in football um, to, to have his personality back is good. But no, I can't see him staying at one place for several years. I just don't think he's that kind of guy. His history shows that, that wherever he goes, he, he tends to have a bit of a falling out pretty soon. But I'm sure Bayern know that. He, he's not been hired to, to win them a Bundesliga, is he? <laughs> I, think, I think they've got plenty of those in the cabinet. And and I must admit, I, I found the whole Tottenham thing bizarre. I thought the only reason, the only motivation for him to go there is to spite Chelsea and and, and the, the owners. Because for him personally, what's he going to do there? Um, as, as all the other ex-Chelsea managers have shown, it's, it's a bit of a, you know, it's a nice club to manage, but it's not a successful club to manage. And even Thomas Tuchel, like Conte, like Mourinho, I, I couldn't see him being able to do much there. So I always thought he'd be waiting for one of the real big boys to come in for him. Um, and it was just a question of his patience, really. And his patience has paid off. And I think Bayern Munich, like Liam says, suddenly, not that they were going to be a, an easy, easy game for Man City, but I think it, tactically, I think they're going to be a lot, lot harder to get past and like Liam I, I really hope for, for many reasons that Chelsea get to play Bayern uh, in May in the semi-final I think it'd be amazing I'll just finish by saying I think Bayern is a better fit for Tuchel than Real Madrid would have been if Carlo Ancelotti say goes off to coach Brazil at the end of the season partly because it's Real Madrid and no one except Carlo Ancelotti has figured out how to survive there for very long but also because you'd be following what Ancelotti has achieved there, particularly in the Champions League. And I just think that's a really tough, that's a really tough act to follow the way that Madrid have, have conducted themselves um, over the last few years in, in the biggest competition. Whereas Bayern are a little bit of a, a low ebb. They've actually found themselves in a Bundesliga title race, which in itself is a disgrace for Bayern these days. And I think they want to re-establish themselves as the best team in Europe again. So it's an intriguing challenge and one that I think he's he's very capable of meeting. All right, well, good luck to Thomas Tuchel. We'll get back to talking about Chelsea next as we check in with the women's team. It's an awkward one for Buchanan. Coombs won it, it's him! And it's two! City sizzling! Chelsea in trouble. Well, after that brilliant win in Lyon in the week, Chelsea came crashing back to earth as they were beaten 2 0 at Manchester City in the WSL on Sunday. Goals from Philippa Angeldahl and Lauren Hemp in a nine minute spell in the first half did the damage. Usain Bolt 
was there watching on. It means Chelsea dropped to third. They're a point behind the two Manchester clubs, but they do have a game in hand. Um, Liam, you and I watched the highlights of this game. I can't work out whether the first goal in particular from Angle Dahl was, was brilliant from her or, or a bad misjudgment from Anne Katrin Berger. Maybe a bit of both? Yeah, maybe a bit of both. And I would add not great from the Chelsea defence, given how much they stood off Angle Dahl. It felt like she was almost teeing up a golf shot. You know, she could just stand there, size up the angles, pick exactly where she wanted to put the ball and then kind of float it into the top corner. I saw her afterwards that Emma Hayes very much went down the line of we gifted Manchester City both goals. Uh, and it, and it's hard to avoid that conclusion when you look at them. You know, the, the second goal, cross comes in from the right, they failed to clear. Um, I think Kadisha Buchanan isn't quite as imposing in the air as maybe Millie Bright would have been in that situation. And then the ball drops to Lauren Hemp. It's a nice finish, but it's the kind of goal that a team like Chelsea, they'll hold themselves to a higher defensive standard than giving up goals like that, should we say. So it's, a, it's certainly a costly defeat. It's a defeat that's it's good for the WSL because we, it's a it's a fantastic title race now. But Chelsea are still in the box seat. Um, and maybe they would have looked at this one, given that they were without Bright, who's been so important to their defensive identity. And given you know where this falls in the schedule straight after Leon, I think they they might have looked at this one as you know at least accounting for the possibility that they could have dropped points. But you have to get back on the horse very very quickly now, and um, they are in a good position in the league and in the Champions League. They're exactly where they want to be despite this result. So I think it will probably just be a case internally of getting this out of their system as soon as possible. And they have been pretty good this year at going again when they've had a disappointment. Yeah, Emma Hayes said she thought her team was sluggish in the first half and the fact that it was a third away game in a week uh, was testament to that. Magda Eriksson said something similar. Let's hear from the skipper now. We definitely had hoped for more. We, uh, I thought we had a slow start. Um, and then, I mean, two chances, two goals is what it felt like. Uh, I think we reacted really well. I think the response was good. The players coming on from the bench made a big, big difference. And second half, we're really good. I think we're, we're, we're creating chances, but it, it wasn't our day. And, uh, of course, we have to improve and we have to look back on the game and see what went wrong and do better. So on the 21st of May, Chelsea play Arsenal and the two Manchester clubs meet. So that looks like a pivotal day in the title race. Is it a super Sunday? <laughs> it's got to be, hasn't it? As for Leon, 1-0 up from the first leg. Going to play at what we assume will be a sold-out Stamford Bridge on Thursday for the return. Emma Hay said Millie Bright should be back for that. But Erin Cuthbert is a doubt after she limped off against Manchester City. We know Frank Kirby and Penilla Harder are long-term injury absentees. A good job, isn't it, Liam, that Chelsea have got such a deep squad because those kind of players anybody would miss. And, and we saw that against City on Sunday. But having Bright back at least would be a massive boost, even if um, not having Cuthbert would be a problem given how well she played in France last week. Yeah, definitely. Cuthbert has been massive for what Chelsea have been able to do in midfield. Obviously, they have Melanie Leopold's back, so they're a bit bolstered in that area of the pitch. But Frank Kirby and Penilla Harder being out really fundamentally changes what Chelsea are in the final third. They are far more reliant on Sam Kerr just producing something or just 
clinically taking a chance. Um, but the the key thing I think is if if they have Millie Bright back to to come in alongside Magda Eriksson and Kadish Buchanan, who of course came in and played so well in the first leg, then they have that defensive backbone. And I'd imagine the blueprint again will be to make sure first and foremost that they, they keep a zero next to their name on the score sheet, that they don't give Leon any life in this tie. And as long as they do that, I think Chelsea, th- this Chelsea team back themselves to, to take a chance and score a goal against any team in the world. All right, so it's Leon on Thursday and then Villa away in the league on Sunday. We'll let you know how they get on in next week's show. Finally, today, though, we'll round up some of the international blues news. So Chelsea players off around the world representing their countries. Not massive news stories, but a couple of things worth ruminating upon. Rhys James came off the bench for England uh, in the win in Italy, then left the camp with an injury problem. Simon, I'm starting to worry that this is going to be the story of his career. Am am I just being unnecessarily fretful or or is this just something that happens to to players who have a, a serious injury and come back or is he going to be injury prone? Um, I, I think within the club, there's a little bit of concern generally, not about this specific injury, hence why they went and signed Gusto. That, that's one of the reasons why they went and did that was to, was, was to sort of help, help the workload, um, so that Reese James isn't playing 60 games season. But as far as this specific injury goes, I'm led to believe it's very, very minor and it was sort of seen as well. We've got plenty of options, Carl Walker. Trippier, it didn't feel like the hardest decision in the world, particularly what with Chelsea's big games coming up. So I think there was a bit of a scratch my back, you scratch mine sort of thing where, you know, when when a player's got a little bit of a niggle, why sort of risk it? I think he's he'll be pretty much fine. I'm pretty hopeful from what I'm hearing. He'll be pretty fine for for the big games coming up in April. But yeah, it's one thing that, which I reported in December about the operation being put off, the, the hope that the knee would, would be able to settle down. Um, but if he injured it again, then he would have surgery. It, it's always been kind of lurking in the background. So the, the, the summer, the summer can't come soon enough, I think, once, once uh, hopefully Chelsea have lifted that Champions League trophy. <laughs> All right. Well, it's interesting there, Liam, that, um, Simon talks about England and Chelsea kind of working in harmony over Rhys James because that didn't happen with with Mason Mount, did it? He was in, then he was out and he he ended up not joining up with England. Was that just miscommunication? Was that England trying to dig their heels in and then then Chelsea insisting that he wasn't ready? Yeah, it's a bit strange, isn't it? I mean, there might have been an element of just England wanting to get a look at Mount themselves given that the situation at Chelsea is complicated by a contract negotiation and and everything else that's going on there. I'm not saying that, you know, Chelsea were making up an injury to leave him out of the team. I don't we haven't got that impression at all. But perhaps England just wanted to get their own physios to look at him and just assess his state of readiness. Or it could have just simply been a a lack of proper communication. Whereas with Reese James it's much clearer I think, to all parties that he is being managed through the remainder of the season, carrying a pretty consistent issue. And he's got, unlike Mount, 
he's got a much more checkered injury history, both big and small. So I, th- I think it's probably something that is always in the minds of of everyone with England and Chelsea when it comes to James in a way that it probably isn't with Mount. Uh, well, Ben Chilwell did get a start in the England game against uh, Ukraine after Luke Shaw got sent off against Italy. Conor Gallagher, his inclusion raised a few eyebrows from non-Chelsea supporters, but he came off the bench in both games, giving credence to my theory that every squad needs a Conor Gallagher in it. Um, there was another Chelsea player in action at Wembley on Sunday, Liam. You've written about him for The Athletic. It was Mikhailo Mudrik, and unfortunately for him, his struggles continue. He didn't particularly impress it. Yeah, I mean, the first thing to say is it was a very difficult game for Ukraine, generally. Um, England are in a good moment, as uh, Graham Potter might say. They pinned Ukraine back very, very well. They pressed them very well. They limited their opportunities to counter-attack. He was up against Kyle Walker, who's probably one of the fullbacks best equipped physically to deal with what he what he tries to do in terms of stretching the game. And Ukraine also have an interim coach at the moment. They're waiting for Sergei Rebrov to come from, from UAE. But they're, they're, what they are as a team is kind of undefined right now. So this, this game came at a bad time for them generally. With all that said, it wasn't a good day for Mudrik. He looks like confidence is a little bit of an issue at the moment. There were a couple of moments in particular, one in first half injury time that I remember where he received the ball on the halfway line in space tried to run at Declan Rice, but seemed to lose belief before he even got to Rice, um, slowed down, did one sort of very tentative step over. And he was actually going so slowly by the end that Harry Kane, of all people, tracked back and just muscled him off the ball and took the ball away. That isn't the Mudrik that we saw in the Champions League group stage for Shakhtar Donetsk. That, that's just a completely different player. And then in the second half, barely a minute before he was substituted on the hour mark, Zinchenko plays a nice line-breaking pass into him, finds him on the edge of the box. His first touch gets the ball stuck under his feet. His second touch gets it too much out of his feet and Rice just pokes it away. Um, So it's clearly not quite happening for him at the moment, even though the way Ukraine nominally set up in a 4-2-3-1, you would say suits him a lot more. Uh, in terms of what he tries to do. So I think he was always going to have a bigger adaptation than probably all of Chelsea's other winter signings. He's coming from the Ukrainian league, which is just a, such a massive jump in class to, to the strongest league competition in the world. And he hadn't played since mid-November. Uh, so as Potter said, it was like a second pre-season for him. So I, Part of me thinks we shouldn't really expect to see the real Mudrik this season. And his his cameo at Anfield, in hindsight, might have uh, been the worst thing for him because it raised expectations that he was going to come in and be a superstar immediately. And, he, and he's clearly not ready for that. He's a, he's a rough diamond. He's, he's also less experienced in terms of minutes and matches than most 22-year-olds. I had a look for the piece and Bakayo Saka's eight months younger than him and he's played 6,000 more league minutes in his career. So Mudrik is, is he's a project, but he's a project with a very high upside. Now you can question the wisdom of paying £62 million for a project, but I, I do think Mudrik has an incredible amount of talent and can be a really special player at Chelsea. 
Arsenal fans are enjoying his struggles right now, but I think he, he'll be judged over the longer term, particularly since he's contracted for the rest of the decade at Chelsea. So they've got, they've got no choice but to be patient with him and work with him and, and help him make this adjustment. All right. Well, elsewhere, Noni Madueke scored for England under-21s against France last week. He got two assists as well and man of the match. Uh, Joao Felix got a goal for Portugal. They beat Luxembourg 6-0 on Sunday. Andre Santos made his Brazil debut in defeat against Hakim Ziyech's Morocco, which will um, hopefully help him get a work permit. And Kai Havertz missed a penalty for the first time in his career as Germany beat Peru 2-0 in a friendly, then left the camp uh, because of illness. We'll wait and see, therefore, whether he's going to be back for this weekend when Chelsea take on Aston Villa at Stamford Bridge. Uh, they've also got Liverpool coming up on Tuesday as well. Simon, you, your head's probably not quite back in club football yet. We're still on the break, but but how are you feeling about Villa and Liverpool? I mean, Liverpool's always a big game anyway, but is the Premier League a bit of an also-ran competition for Chelsea between now and the end of the season? Are, they, are these warm-up matches for Real Madrid more than they are about getting points on the board? Or does Graham Potter still need to, to move Chelsea up the table a little bit between now and the end of the season to convince some of his doubters? It, it feels like a yes to all of those. Um, it's not the priority in terms of in terms of what games are taking place in April, obviously, but it's not like Potter can just sort of flick an off switch and go, oh, well, so I take a couple of defeats into the Real Madrid game, no one will care. Otherwise, he'll be back in the sort of pre brusher Dortmund kind of tension. And also, you want you, you want to be have a bit of confidence going into what is going to be a very difficult tie. So it, these are important games, although not so much for... The finish um, in the in the league table, the damage has been done. Funnily enough, Sky put on uh, the other night. They put on Chelsea v Tottenham, the Battle of Stamford Bridge the other night, 2016. It was almost like they knew that uh, perhaps Chelsea followers needed a reminder of the last time they were going through a rubbish season and how the, how a result kind of salvaged their campaign. A little bit, so I'm not saying Chelsea Aston Villa is going to be the Battle of Stamford Bridge, though. Maybe it's a, maybe it's Chelsea v Liverpool with the, uh, the sort of the underachievers uh, battle, although Liverpool are just nicking nicking that one. Chelsea go to Arsenal at the end of April, just raising that one. Yes, yes, it would it would be quite funny if history repeated itself, but unfortunately. Um, uh, I think Arsenal would start a lot stronger favourites than Tottenham did back in uh, 2016, especially as they'll be at home. Mikhailo Mudrik hat-trick, Jorginho sent off. Yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> Villa's interesting, isn't it, Liam? Because they they're obviously look a, a far better team under Unai Emery than they did under Steven Gerrard. And they're the records, are, well, certainly their points tallies are, are completely identical. Villa have actually won one more game in the league this season than Chelsea have. So they're not going to come to, to Stamford Bridge and, and roll over in the way that they have done maybe in previous years. So a couple of tricky games to come back from the break with. And, and obviously, as we record, we don't know if everybody's going to come back fit and healthy. They're all tricky games when you can't beat anyone in the top half. Um, but yeah, Villa... Are, are a good team. I think they always had much more talent than their record under Steven Gerrard showed. And Emery is a is a very high level European coach. I think I think his presence at Villa 
speaks to what I've said a few times, which is that the standard of coaching in the Premier League has never been higher across the board. When you have Europa League winning coaches like Unai Emery at, at mid-tier clubs like Aston Villa, with all due respect, that's where they are. I think it really speaks to the to the standard and the fact that every single week is, is just a challenge unlike it's ever been in this league. So it's going to be a tricky game. And Chelsea fans won't want to hear Graham Potter credit Aston Villa with a good performance and a good game plan afterwards. You know, they after after stumbling against Everton, I think it's really important for for Chelsea and for Potter particularly to try and get a good feeling back because they have a tough run in April that includes defining games in the Champions League and you need to go into that with some semblance of momentum and confidence. Yeah, Villa have won three of their last four and they drew the other game in that run too. Uh, All right, that's going to just about do us for today. Next week, we're thinking we're going to drop the pod on Wednesday, given that Chelsea are playing Liverpool on Tuesday. There's not much point in recording it before that. Uh, Simon, tell us what you're going to be working on between now and then, please. Uh, Yet to be determined, but lots of stuff, I'm sure. We're we're about to have our editorial chat um, after this podcast. But, you know, while, what, what I would say is you can, uh, the, the long promised piece on the academy, um, and the pathway is on the site now. Lots of, uh, positives and negatives in that piece. Inevitably, you're going to find sort of some people that are, uh, are definitely up for the challenge, regardless of who comes into the club. But there's no, no mistake. There's, there's a lot of people also that are now considering their future at Chelsea. It is a very difficult decision for youngsters. Chelsea pay very well. One of the best players in, in academy football. But if you're not playing, that, that only appeases you just so much. So it's going to be very interesting to sort of see how Chelsea try and handle this situation where they go out and constantly buying best youngsters for the first team and also they're consistently recruiting for the academy as well. Um, so that's inevitably going to have a ripple effect with the players that are already there. Uh, elsewhere on The Athletic, Luke Bosher has written about uh, Chelsea revealing that they posted a £121.3 million net loss for the financial year 2021-22. Charlotte Harper's got something up on that WSL game from yesterday we spoke about earlier as well. Um, Liam, we mentioned Mikhailo Mudrik in focus for you. Have you got anything else in the pipeline you can tell us about? Well, I suspect I'll be trying to analyse those financial results in a bit more detail and and just what they mean in terms of the bigger picture for Chelsea and and FFP compliance and all the spending we've seen over the past year. Maybe we can release our editorial chat, Simon, as a podcast extra in in, in lieu of a second pod. Um, But we're... I'm working on some academy-focused stuff as well, definitely feeding into the to the big academy read, but there's a couple of smaller things that can't go into too much detail yet, but may come to fruition in the next week or so. All right, well, athletic.com slash ChelseaPod is the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. And as I say, we'll be back on Wednesday next week when we'll have a whole bunch of games to, to reflect upon for the men's and women's teams. So join us for that if you can. Until then, from all of us, it's goodbye. The Athletic.